Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, amigas, and welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. So I have a beautiful soul, and her name is Adriana Palomares. But what is so unique about her? She is known as La Mezcalera. Okay, what is that? So let me tell you a little bit about that. So La Mezcalera Inc., which is the name of the company, was born from a story of love and mezcal. In December of 2013, founder Adriana Palomares found herself practicing defense law at a prestigious law firm in L.A. She grappled with the desire to do something meaningful with her career and the guilt of leaving a lucrative job that allowed her to support her family. Following her passion for seeking a more satisfying career, she traveled to Mexico where she was introduced to Mezcal. In December of 2014, she quit her job and with nothing but two pieces of luggage, moved to Guanajuato, Mexico in pursuit of, a, of doing something more rewarding. She immersed herself in the world of mezcal, learning firsthand everything from the production of the agave plant to the various craft mezcal production processes to the commercialization of mezcal in California. She became an investor in the first craft mezcal tasting room in San Miguel de Allende and imparted a series of mezcal tastings both in Guanajuato and L.A., as well as created and co-organized the first mezcal tour to various mezcal factories throughout Guanajuato. The project took her to various parts of rural Mexico, where she met other women involved in the mezcal production process. One thing that stood out to her was that women in the mezcal world were few and those that were mezcaleras did much of the arduous work but received little recognition. Adriana decided to create La Mezcalera Inc. with the intention of forming a space that educates consumers not only about the history and culture of mezcal, 
but also recognizes the very significant roles women play in the world of mezcal. I am super excited here to have Adriana. She's a beautiful soul, and I can't wait for you to hear about her. So without further ado, this is Adriana Palomares from La Mezcalera Inc. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adriana, for being here with us at Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Jackie. I'm so excited to be here. I love your energy. I love the space that you have created. And I am just looking forward to having some fun. Too bad we don't have mezcal here. <laughs> should have planned that. Darn it. Maybe we'll do it alive. Yes, Sale? we will. Let's do it. Yes. All right. Sale. Vamos. Okay. Muy bien. All right, my love. So, okay, amigas out there. So this beautiful soul that we have here in front of us, she's a you know, Latina nació in Mexico, right, Adriana? And, but she grew up here in the States. So we need to dive really deep. Like, how did that happen? Because, I mean, you know, it takes some time to come and travel to the United States. So what happened? Please tell us, how did this happen for you? I love to. So I was born, like you said, in, in, in Mexico. I, I'm from a very small town in Guanajuato named Valle de Santiago. And my father had been coming to the States as a bracero back in the 60s when the bracero program um, was enacted. And so he basically since then had been having a binational kind of life. And he meets my mom, whatever, gets married. And then we are born in Mexico, the older three children. And in the late 80s, my parents decide we're going to migrate to the States because, you know, the, the possibility for work is just so much greater than being in Mexico. My father brought us in the late 80s, and I was seven years old at the time. And, uh, you know, I was just really thrilled to be with my dad and have my family together. And that's where my journey started in L.A. We came uh, to the States. We we lived in a small uh, neighborhood called Pacoima. It was predominantly Latino neighborhood, African-American back in the day. And that's where I was raised, in Pacoima. You're definitely El Angelina. Yes. Oh, I'm very familiar with Pacoima. So you come and you live in Pacoima. Pacoima. God, why, what's wrong with me? <laughs> it's my style, Jackie. So you started living there and your dad was a bracero. So was he still working um, as a bracero or was actually in the farm industry at that point? No, by that point, so the bracero program ended in the late 60s. And by that point, my dad was actually working as a musician. He played in a Norteño band. He played the, the Bajo Sexto. And he basically was the lead singer of his band. And that's what he was doing. He was working a nine to five in factories, different factories. And then in the evenings, he would play in a Norteño band. And that's how he was supporting us. Are you also a musician? I mean, girl, you do so many things. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> I, I tried. I did try. I tried learning to play the trumpet early on. I was part of the marching band in high school, but I was terrible at it. I just, honestly, I saw, even my teacher told me, you know, maybe you should consider focusing on your education. And so <laughs> that's what I did. I focused on becoming a, a good student and transferring to college. And that's where my focus went. So did you know that you were going to be an attorney 
Or is, is that like, you know, for me, when I was a little girl, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a fashion designer. And then I thought, oh, and I'll be a lawyer too. <laughs> oh my God. So of course, I, fashion design didn't happen. <laughs> I could still happen. You never know. I never thought I'd be a mezcalera, you know, but so no, I did not know. I, you know, I, in my mind, I always wanted to be an astronaut and a writer. That was my goal to be a writer and to be an astronaut. And then as I got older, I realized, okay, astronaut requires that I know how to do math. And I was not very good at math, but writing was always one of the things that just stuck to me and I loved it and I had a passion for it. So I ended up majoring in English because I knew I'd be reading a lot and writing, which was what I loved doing. And actually when I was in community college, I, so I went to community college for a couple of, couple of years. I went to LA Valley College. And when I was there, a friend of mine, we were trying to decide majors because we were going to, it was time for us to transfer to a four year. And I was trying to decide my major and, you know, I was going to go with English because that's just what I love doing. And he said, yes, great. Go with English. But, you know, in my mind, I thought, what am I going to do with this major? I don't want to teach, you know, I don't want to just become a professor. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, in my mind, I just thought I want my life to be somewhat of a combination where I go and help my community and also write and also make good money. And, you know, kind of like a combination of the three. And my friend says to me, well, why don't you become an attorney? You know, they write a lot, they help the community and they make a lot of money. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to look into it. And so, you know, back then I was uh, naive, wanted to save the world, wanted to really stand up for my community. And I thought, okay, I could do that. And I'll also be doing a lot of writing. Little did I know that the writing was very different from the type of writing that I, I, I enjoy doing, which is creative writing. But anyway, that's where the, where the idea stemmed from, like just growing up in Pacoima, seeing a lot of injustice and wanting to do something that would allow me to help my community, but also combine my passion for writing. And so that's where the idea was born. So I went ahead and applied myself, did a major in English, transferred to UCLA. And after UCLA, I uh, started applying to law school and eventually did the whole process. You know how hard that is, did the whole process to get into law school. I didn't get admitted to any schools in LA, so I had to go out of, out of state. And I ended up in Portland, Oregon at a very small private college called Lewis and Clark. And was there basically for two and a half years. I couldn't finish the third year because I was just so depressed with all the rain. So I ended up coming back, finished at Southwestern Law School and graduated, took the California bar and then finally became a lawyer. Nice. So you became a lawyer in when? What year was that? I got sworn in at the end of 2010. Took a couple, a few times of has the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I got sworn in at the end of 2010. Ah. Got hired by a big firm at the beginning of 2011. And so tell me about this big firm. Because, you know, their demands are like freaking huge. You got to do all these billable hours and not have a life, even though you're making the money. But it's like in the end, it's like, okay, I'm only making 25 bucks an hour. Yeah, you know, it's really tough to be a first generation lawyer as it is. And then to get into a big firm, it's also really hard. 
I'm really grateful, you know, for the experience because it, it did uh, help me build a lot of character. So I'm always grateful for that. But it was very hard. I basically worked Monday through Sunday, 10 to 12 hour days. I did not have a life. You know, I was just billing, billing, billing. I was at the time doing uh, workers' compensation defense law. So basically, I was just defending big companies, corporations, and just making a lot of money, more money than I ever imagined I would make or that my parents ever made. But I was basically just living there. I didn't have a personal life. I forgot all about the creative writing, all the creativity that I had just kind of went on the back burner and I focused on just, you know, becoming the best lawyer I could be. And I believe there was an aha moment in your life that took a turn. Like that was not for you, right? Yes. Yes. There was a moment where, you know, I just found myself constantly feeling unmotivated, getting sick. I started having anxiety attacks. Um, I started developing uh, this breathing, these breathing issues from, I don't even know what it was, but I just felt constantly under stress. And the most important thing for me was that I went to bed every night feeling like I hadn't really contributed to something good in the world. You know, I was, it didn't feel rewarding. My job as an attorney did not feel rewarding. And I felt like all this sacrifice that I had made in my life to get through law school, become a lawyer, work for a big firm, it just was not equal to happiness. It wasn't what I was looking for. And I felt terrible because I felt, you know, there was a lot of a mixture of feelings. There was sadness. There was, you know, a feeling of regret. There was a feeling of guilt. I felt guilty for not feeling happy because I thought anybody, my parents would be happy with my salary. And yet here I am wanting something different. I wanted more. And it was a huge load of guilt on my shoulders because I didn't feel happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I, well, girl, you're talking to someone who has the similar experience. And I find that many amigas out there will stick it through and they will run their bodies down, you know, really, really, really down. And so important amigas out there who are in this, feeling this anxiousness, who's feeling the sadness, feeling the guilt, feeling this, this load of bad energy to do something about it. And if that means you need to pivot really big, do it. Absolutely. Right? I agree. And, and, you know, and it is really scary, Jackie, you know, because we have all these cultural expectations and social expectations, especially being a woman, you know, and, and it's really hard to just, have that moment where you say, you know what, F this, I'm really going to go find my happiness. Hell yeah. Hell <laughs> so yeah. It takes, it. <laughs> yeah. it takes courage. It takes, the fear is always going to be there, but, but you just go with it. Even though when you're even being afraid, you go with the flow. So I know for me, the moment came when I finally decided I can't keep doing this. I'm going to, I was sick already. My body was, I was physically not being able to breathe. I had breathing problems. I had I was diagnosed with asthma. I ended up in the hospital several times. And I just thought I need, I need to go away. But at that time, I really was not, I was 
not healed spiritually. And I, all I thought I wanted to run away. I just thought I wanted to get out. And so I ended up booking a flight to Mexico City for the weekend, for a week, just to get out. And it was towards the end of 2014. I turned in my thousands of billable hours in, clocked out, and I took a flight to Mexico City. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just, I just want to get away. And so, <laughs> You're yeah. out in 5,000. I'm gone. Bye. Nobody yeah. <laughs> bothered me. I clocked it. I clocked out. And so in Mexico City, I was introduced to mezcal for the very first time. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I first tried it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is not very good. And it, I did, I wasn't impressed, but I was impressed with the person that I introduced me to. So this, this man ended up becoming uh, my partner. And so he was already involved in the world of mezcal. His family had been, you know, involved for, for a few generations. And basically, you know, I developed a, a relationship with him eventually we fell in love and I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to go back to Mexico and see what's out there for me. I'm so unhappy here and I'm just going to go find myself. That was my, my thought. You know, I, didn't, I don't want to continue to practice. I was in love with this person. And in, in my mind, I always had wanted to live in Mexico anyway, because that's where I was from and I wanted to reconnect with my roots. So I thought, what a better opportunity, you know? And so at the end of 2015, 2014, I basically went back, gave my two-week notice, packed everything I owned in two big luggages. I told my mom and my dad I was moving back to Mexico. And I told my boss I was quitting because I was moving back to Mexico. I told my friends and everybody thought I was crazy and I still went ahead and did it. <laughs> That's handling your shit, girl. Ooh, I love it. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So more, tell us more, tell us more. So, so anyway, so yeah, so here I, I go, I took a flight, moved to Mexico, moved in with this, with this guy that I had had a relationship with long distance when introduced me to Mezcal and we lived together and I basically just started helping him distributing a brand of Mezcal that he was working with at that point. And when I first found out how mezcal is made, we, you know, we went down to Oaxaca a few times, went to all the palenques. And when I realized that this is truly a labor of love, I thought, wow. And I started falling in love with it. And then obviously I learned how to drink it. I learned how it's made. I learned how long of a process it is because it's still a very craft process. And I just, I learned the history, the culture behind it. And it just felt like that reconnected me to, to my roots. It was a way that I just reconnected back to, to what that essence of, about Mexico that I longed for for so, so long. And it also brought back just my creativity, you know, being out there. I started writing again. I wrote poems, you know. So I just felt for the first time in many, many years, I just felt free, happy, and just motivated to learn something new. And that's how I started getting involved with Mezcal. Wow, that is so beautiful. I mean, it really touches me because you left everything behind and you found love. You yes. found love. And, that, and this is gorgeous. Okay, so now you're saying you learned how to make Mezcal. So how do you <laughs> learn how to make Mezcal? <laughs> Okay, so I, I mean, I, I don't make it per se, but I learned the process. So basically, the process is it's, it's a craft process. 
And one of the things that people always ask me, okay, what really is mezcal? Because people are not very familiar with it. They know tequila, but they don't know that mezcal is also one of the different spirits that Mexico produces. And so mezcal, unlike tequila, is made with different varieties of agave. Tequila can only be made with blue agave, but mezcal can be made with like up to 30 different varieties of agave and you can mix as well. And also mezcal is is made in a very craft process. So basically, just briefly, I'm going to tell you, the agave uh, basically takes different years to mature. The most common type of, of mezcal you'll see out there right now, it's an espadín. The reason why this is most common is because the espadín agave takes about five to seven years to mature. So it's quick per se, compared to, for instance, a wild agave that may take 18 to 20 years to mature. So that's why espadín is used more often. So basically, you know, everything is craft from, so the seven years that it takes to to grow the agave, to harvesting it, to cutting off the pencas, carrying the big piñas to the palenque. And so... What happens is you, the, they grab the big piñas, they cut them into pieces, and they cook them. And depending on the region in Mexico, so there are different processes. In Oaxaca, for instance, they have comic-shaped underground oven where they throw the piñas in there. They cover it with volcanic rock and dirt, and they cook it underground, kind of like when you're making birria. Mm-hmm. Oh, very similar. Yes. Yes. yes, that just made me think of that, too. <laughs> yeah. So it's very similar to that. So the, the piñas are cooked underground. If you move to central Mexico, the, the process is a little different. They actually use a, um, it's basically a, a, an oven that looks like a room. And you just throw all the piñas in there, close the doors and the windows, and you just leave a vent at the top so the smoke can come out. So you're also cooking it in a huge oven that kind of looks like a house, basically, or like a room, like any, any room. And so then after the piñas are cooked, they take them out and they grind them. They take them to the molienda. And in the old ways, they used to use a horse or a donkey to pull a big rock called Tawana, which is what grinds the piñas. And that grinding process takes several days. And after that, that piña is basically grinded, then you take it into fermentation. And the fermentation is done naturally. There's no additives poured into the piña and it's fermented in usually wooden, uh, wooden barrels. And, uh, it's fermented for several days. And then after the fermentation, basically you take all that liquid that remains and then you distill it. And the distillation process also varies from region to region. And there's different kinds, like the ancestral distillation refers to basically distilling the, the, the liquid in clay pots, whereas the craft process is distilled in a copper alambique. And so, it, and, and some people get creative. They even use other other methods like cow skin. It really depends on the region. So it's a very the processes differ, and it's also craft. And so that's what makes it very different from tequila, where everything is for the most part industrialized because of the high demand for tequila. So, so that's basically in a nutshell what the production process looks like. And so that's just the production. And we're talking about the culture and the history. You know, where, where did it come from? How did it, how did people start drinking mezcal again? You know, is this a new thing? People say, oh, it's a new trend. But actually, mezcal, been, it's, a, it's a drink. It's a spirit that existed even before pre-Columbian times. The natives 
used to drink uh, the fermented liquid. And so it has a lot of history, a very rich in history. I read somewhere that in uh, pre-Columbian times, the natives considered it a sacred drink. And it was considered the drink of the gods. So only very, very, very important people like priests, high priests, were allowed to drink it. And also pregnant women, because pregnant, pregnant women were thought to be so special because they were, you know, creating birth. And we are special. Yes, we are. <laughs> so they were allowed to drink this fermented drink that came from the agave. And so there's a lot of stories. I mean, there's a rich history behind it, why production stopped. Basically, production stopped for many years in central Mexico because of the Mexican Revolution. So when the Mexican Revolution happened, a lot of the haciendas mezcaleras where the production was happening were destroyed. And so a lot of the, the states in central Mexico that have denomination of origin to produce mezcal stopped production for years. Whereas in the South, like Oaxaca, the production continued. It was unaffected. And so, yeah, there's, there's just so much history behind it that you can see now why I fell in love with this. Meeting a storyteller, I just fell in love with all of this. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And I'm sure you're writing a book on this because, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And when will we see this book? Hopefully. I mean, my goal is a year. I'm currently working on my first novel. I'm creating, I'm publishing it, which is nothing related to mezcal, but I have started actually my second book and I started doing some of the research and that was more of a, of a it's not, it's a nonfiction book and it'll basically tell the story of different mujeres mezcaleras that I've come across that are chingonas and love, either love mezcal or in some way or another are involved in the mezcal production process or you know, in, in some way in the chain of the mezcal, uh, in the mezcal world. So I started inter- inter- uh, um, basically interviewing a few and eventually that's the goal. Oh my goodness. Well, someone's going to have to be interviewing you because you are a chingona of mezcal. And so you're bringing this drink of the gods to us. Yes. So I'm excited for you. So right now from reading your bio, you represent a group Oh, how do you say it? <laughs> oh, yes. So in 2019, I started a company called La Mezcalera Incorporated. And being involved in the industry, I realized that it's very hard to bring a mezcal brand into the U.S. market. If you don't have money uh, it is going or, or, or contacts, it's going to be really hard. You know, if you're a small little company, a small brand that doesn't have the money and the contacts in the state, it's going to be really, really hard. And you're either going to have to go with the big importer and distributor who's just going to make you sign the contract where you're going to end up with them for years and they, they're not going to do any marketing to your brand. And so the probability of your brand being a success is probably going to be very little. And so so basically what I... And then I started creating my own brand and I realized it's, it's so hard. There's a lot of bureaucracy involved. So, you know, through my experience and, and my and just being in creating a lot of connections with mezcaleros and mezcaleras in Mexico and having the experience of being an attorney in the U.S. and having a, a, a large network in the U.S., I realized I'm going to combine both, use my skills, use my contacts, leverage everything I've learned and create a company that helps small brands of mezcal who have premium products and help them get into the U.S. market and help them be out there. And so that's what I focus on. I try to find brands that are 
good products um, and that don't necessarily have the means, financial means to make it into the market. And so I help them in coming into the U.S. market and basically promoting them, helping them be out there. And yeah, and that's what I do basically with small brands. Absolutely. Oh, my God. And so this is La Chica Loca Mezcal. That's one of the brands, right? Yes. La Chica Loca is one of the brands, is the very first brand that I'm working with. And I... I'm so thrilled because I love this brand. This brand, I we were actually already working together back in Mexico. We distributed it. We sold it. I used to own co-own a mezcaleria in Mexico, and we sold it there. We promoted it. So it was one of my favorite brands, and it's one of my favorite brands because it just has a female essence to it. La Chica Loca alone, you know, and the logo is a Katrina woman with the big sombrero that is just looking up and just looks empowered and chingona. And one of the things that I love about this brand is that it has that female essence and it, it almost feels like it's a mezcal embodied in a women's essence, right? In a bottle that targets women. And it's also a mezcal that is very, um, it's very soft, but it's just bold at the end. And so I love that. It's just very, it's very similar to what strong women are. We could be soft, but when need be, we're bold and we just, you know, it hits good in your palate. And yeah, so I was, I, love, <laughs> I, love it. I was, I was just going to say, okay, just, just like you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like us. Yes. Yes. I love that. Okay. So. We're doing La Chica Loca Mezcal, but I know that there is some dream of you uh, starting something for that is only women. And so I'd love for you to share this with us because I am like, I'm like, I am already ready and prepared to invest. <laughs> awesome. Yay. I do. You know, I have a vision. I, so in, in my, in my travels throughout Mexico, uh, different parts of Mexico, thanks to Mezcal taking me to different, very rural regions from all the way from Yucatan to as far north as San Luis Potosí. You know, I came across women who are in the industry, but you know, it's still a male dominated industry. And, you know, I had experiences, for instance, once I was trying to help one of the brand's make it into the market when I was still relying on other people to, to do this for us. And I met a man who straight up would not meet with me. I showed up to the meeting and my then partner who was now I had to, was going to come with me, but he couldn't make it. And so I ended up going to this meeting alone and the men saw me get there and he's like, where's your husband? And I was like, Oh, he couldn't make it. And he's like, well, sorry, there's no meeting. I don't, I don't do business with women. And so it just made me realize, you know, I mean, coming from a male dominated industry, which is the law, I was like, okay, here we go again. You know, it's just another barrier that we women have to, will come across on a daily. And so, you know, eventually I, I just realized, you know, there's so much potential. There's a lot of really smart and power women out there in this industry and in many industries. And, you know, my dream is to create a brand that is made by women, maestras mezcaleras involved. It has a, a male, a female essence, female investors. It's promoted by women. It's imported, distributed by women. Anywhere from like the production process all the way to the 
to the commercializing process, have women involved, and also uh, give back to the community, give back to women. You know, a lot of these maestras, mascaleras who are making this wonderful drink, they come from very humble beginnings. And, you know, they have children. And uh, an idea would be that the proceeds from this project can go back to those communities to help these women and their children. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like what I have in mind. Um, and it's obviously a project that I, I it's, it's been simmering in my mind and I need to get to it. But I have so much going on right now that I'm like, OK, I can't only do so much. But I do. That's that's one of my of my projects in the future. Uh- well, I'm I'm excited for that because, like I said, I'm like sign me up, <laughs> right. Right. sign me up. Yes, and I'm sure there's a lot of amigas out there who would be interested. Believe me, you're the second person that I have here on my podcast that um, is in the in the spirits industry, and I'm so enamored by it. And both of you have shared stories of how it's such a male dominated field. And all the hoops that you have to go through. But the passion carries both of you through. That love, the story behind it. I think your love story for this mezcal is going to definitely carry you and just continue the trajectory and build a legacy with that. And you will. I can see it. I know it. I feel it. Energetically, I just... I see so much. I see so much. And I'm so excited for you, Adriana, and everything you're doing. And then your books, I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm like, you, no wonder you're saying that you can't, you know, you have so much on your plate. But I'm in my heart, I feel like this should be a priority. Let's put it in the books. Let's put, put a deadline so awesome. that it can start, right? Yes, we can at least start getting together with the potential women involved in the project. Absolutely. And, and I have, have been very lucky that a few women have approached me. So, you know, it's definitely going, I'm going to put a date to it where we can all meet and, and start talking about it. So, so I'll, I'll give you the date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You heard it here on Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast, Amigas. Yes. So well, as we're winding down our conversation, I always ask Amigas that are here with me, how an amiga can handle her shit. Like if she can share one or two tips would be amazing. Cause girl, you've been handling it and it's been going on for a long ass time. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Jackie, it starts from within, you know, everything that we are starts from within. And, and this comes from my coach. I had to hire a coach uh, at one point. And my, I remember my coach told me, you know, if you are not healed in the inside, that is going to reflect in your career, in your business, in your relationships, in your relationship with yourself, in your health. And, you know, when he said that to me, it was like an eye-opening moment. And I realized he's right. You know, we come from a culture that is beautiful, but also has a lot of toxicity in it. And we, as women, we grow up feeling limited, feeling afraid feeling like we are only meant to do one thing, like we, you know, we have to be moms or wives and we cannot do anything other than that. And, you know, we just grow up with this mentality. And when you finally heal all this within you, you start realizing, man, I can be anything I want to be. You know, yes, it's going to be a lot of work, 
but who says I cannot do it? You know, and you start really living outside of the box. But it really starts with handling you within. Go inside and heal it all. Heal yourself, and that's going to reflect beautifully in all areas. And and I am a living, I guess, example of that. You know, I feel like up until the moment when I decided to just make that trip to Mexico, I'm still living in that one box. You know, I can only be a lawyer and that's it. And I cannot do anything else. And it was scary. But when I finally decided to take that leap of faith and start my journey, things changed for me. And it's been, I've been doing this now for seven years and it has been such an amazing journey. And in the process, I found, you know, my healing and I've done a lot of healing and a lot of self-work. And that's how I've managed to handle my shit, basically. And that's the advice I have. Women go within, fix all the issues that we grow up with. That is not our fault. Learn and unlearn everything that you must. And trust me, you will be able to do anything you want. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Amen. Amen, sister. I completely agree with you. I think oftentimes women are scared to go deep. So they keep conversations very surface as opposed to really healing what's inside because, you know, we're going to keep repeating everything. We're, and it's not until you really look in the face, look in the mirror and, and really trust yourself and say, I love you no matter what. We're in it together and we're going to heal together. And I mean, that's like being our best selves. Like, I mean, I believe in God. And so I feel like, you know, there's so much, like we're so limited in our spaces. Like, you know, the universe has so much for us. Absolutely. Right. Abundance. Abundance beyond abundance. And it's incredible. And, and when you learn and do the healing, wow, it's like blast off, like, you know, it's just like a, a skyrocket, right? I mean, you did it, you did it and you, you're like blossoming and you're moving and shaking and, and making changes, making epic changes that align with your deeper self. Absolutely. The love for Mezcal is going to transcend borders. You are bringing your love of Mezcal to this country and possibly more than this country, like in Europe, everywhere everywhere that's the goal to take it to the world that's right and that's possible because you healed yourself first yes you yes. said yes to yourself I did, uh, I did. Uh, I'm gonna cry just thinking about this <laughs> well I love this conversation amiga and we're definitely gonna have you again but next time it's gonna be when you File those incorporated docs for your business, your women business in this guy. Yes, absolutely. We'll be talking about, hey, remember where the idea was started and we were talking? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. It'll definitely happen. Well, my love, thank you so much for being here at Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Have a beautiful day and I look forward to just continuing to grow together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ditto, my love. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. 
Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.